Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord.
Holy Father, we are in awe of you. You are Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who is above all things, who understands all things, the author of all things. And yet you love us. You look at us so small, so seemingly insignificant, and you love us. You reach deeply into our lives. You lift us out of our complacency, out of our sin, and you make us worthy to be called children of God, for that is what we are. Remind us, loving God, who you are and who we are. Help us to give you the glory you so richly deserve. For you are our God. Amen.
You may be seated. Father, we come today to worship you, to adore you, to open our lives to you. We come today knowing that you hear us when we pray. In fact, you invite us to pray. This morning, Father, we come with uh, all kinds of things in our minds and our hearts. Some of us here today are beginning a new journey, entering into the world of college and all that that entails. And we are excited, apprehensive, a little bit uncertain. Lord, we pray that you will, you will help every person who is wrestling with these new things, the joy of it and the uncertainty of it. And whether it is starting classes or it is starting a new job or moving to a new place or getting established in anything new, we know that you're present with us and we thank you for that. And we ask for your help. Father, some here today are returning and uh, renewing friendships, entering into uh, to school once again, entering into relationships and, and circumstances once again. And we pray that you will again help us. Help us as we restart. Help us as we continue on. Help us to know your grace in all that we do. Father, some of us are here this morning and we are wrestling with burdens and struggles in our lives and those we love. We pray for those who are grieving today. I think especially of Mim Case and her family at the death of her mother this week. Pour out your spirit of peace and comfort to them. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues. There are many issues related to health of our bodies, our minds, our spirits. And we need your healing grace upon us and those we love. Thank you for hearing our prayers even in this moment. As we bring these needs to you. Some of us come today that are financial burdens. We give this to you. There are relationships that are not what we want them to be. We pray for your healing and give them to you. We pray, Father, for uh, this church. We thank you for the ministry of this church and all the ways in which we serve one another. And even today, we may be pondering how we can use the gifts you've given us, how we can serve others. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us about how we can, we can serve you by serving each other. And we pray that you will anoint all the ways in which we reach and teach and love the people who are part of this church and those around us. And we ask for your grace upon all of the ministries that we, that we do. We pray for the McCraybrook Wesleyan Church and Pastor Dale Argot, pour out your spirit upon them as they serve you in the little town of Eldred and as they bear witness to you. May their love for you be seen by others. And Father, we pray for our nation. We've been through a very difficult time this last week. It is really probably the culmination of, of what has been perhaps not as visible Lord, we pray that you will help us as individuals to check our hearts, 
Lord, how we view other people who are different from us. We pray that you will fill our hearts with love and respect and honor one another. We pray, Father, that you will help us as a nation to confess our sins of hatred and violence, prejudice, and change us. Help the church to be at the forefront of this transformation as you work in your people to bear witness to what your kingdom looks like. Father, we pray that you will bless not only our nation, but the nations of the world, people you've created and love. We thank you for those who are serving in these nations. We pray especially for Wes and Dana Brown as they serve in Kenya. They're sort of preparing to come home for some time of restoration and fundraising and, and meeting folks. We pray that you will help them to know your grace in their lives and their ministry. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face great opposition and persecution in their lives every day, something that's probably difficult for us to understand. We think of the Christians in Pakistan as the, they've elected a, a new prime minister. The Christians are apprehensive to know how they will be treated by the government. We pray that you will protect them. We pray that the government will look favorably upon the Christians and that Christians in Pakistan will bear witness to who you are as they love and care for each other and their neighbors. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your mercies to each of us as we continue in worship, as we listen to your word read and proclaimed. May our hearts be open to you through the grace of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Christ that we offer our prayers today, giving thanks. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, take a few moments to stand and greet one another. And as you do that, children are dismissed for Children's Church, ages 2 to 5, in the Christian Education Building.
So let me uh, just welcome uh, you again to worship today, and especially those of you who are uh, students returning or folks who may be uh, relatively new to the area. We're happy to have you here. Uh, we have, uh, as you see, we have worship services at this schedule uh, through the rest of the school year, 820, 940, and 11. And we'd love to have you be a part of this congregation as we worship together. Uh, if you have an interest in ministry or things, serving, using your gifts, we're always happy to uh, try to help you do that as well. I do want to invite you, I think probably most of you who are students know this, but uh, if not, and those in the community, we're having a potluck picnic this afternoon at 5, just in the, in the grounds over here. I think the weather's going to be good, so that'll keep us outside. Uh, we have some games, lots of food, so we want to invite you to come and join us today, uh, 5 o'clock, and uh, we'll... Uh, we'll bring, if you're a community person, we want you to help to bring some food. If you're a student, we'll provide all that for you, so you don't need to worry about uh, how am I going to make food. Uh, so, But we hope to see you, meet you, and have a chance to, to greet you, welcome you this afternoon. We want to pray for you as well uh, as we uh, gather at 5 o'clock this afternoon. We are happy this morning to uh, welcome uh, Dr. John Case, uh, who's preaching for us. Dr. Case, a professor in the religion department. At the college, some of you who are returning students may have had him for classes. Those who are new probably will have him for classes, and uh, it will be a good experience for you. So uh, we welcome Dr. Case uh, to share the Word of God with us this morning. Well, I'm very happy to be able to have this opportunity to, to speak with you all this morning. And let me begin by, <clears throat> pardon me, thanking uh, Pastor West for this kind invitation. Uh, as uh, Pastor mentioned, I'm in the religion department at the college, and part of what I do is help students think theologically about the changes that we see in the culture. And things are changing pretty rapidly. Uh, in fact, it seems like every time these courses come up, I'm teaching new content uh, because the changes are so rapid. I think it's almost impossible sometimes to keep up with everything that's going on. And of course, so many of the changes have to do with the digital world and its incursion into just about every area of our lives. So much of our world is wrapped up in our phones, in our tablets, in our laptops. They're sort of the secular counterpart to divine omniscience, if you think about it. Right? Instant knowledge, instant communication, instant entertainment. Right? Sometimes it seems like there aren't too many boundaries anymore. I was, I was sitting in the men's restroom, the third floor of the religion, of the, uh, of the library in the religion department one morning. As I'm, as I'm there, I hear voices and engines revving in the stall next to me. There's a young man doing his morning evacuation ritual watching a movie. Maybe this is generational, but no. You know, 
you need boundaries in your life. You know, you need a hobby, right? I mean, Vin Diesel, get out of that stall. I don't want to hear you in the morning here. And dude, I don't ever want to borrow your phone because I've, I've seen your personal hygiene habits and they are not pretty. Right? And, and now we have to deal with these devices that are listening to us. Um, you've heard about the smart TVs that can record your conversation and, and actually take them to a, a store them on a server somewhere, your living room conversation. So, you know, Sunday afternoon, you can't be swearing at your football team for hours because it's recording all of this. How am I going to watch the Bills this fall? I, you know. And these, uh, of course, these digital assistants now are all the rage. Uh, Siri, Alexa, maybe you have Google Home. They're supposed to make our lives easier. I think they, they can do that. They can also make them sort of weird. Um, I was in a coffee shop in Buffalo uh, last year, and I'm sitting there next to a group of young teens who are doing their math homework and they have a list of problems that they're working through, and the way they're doing this. And I'm going to tell you this, and some of you are guilty of this, I know. But the way they're doing this, they have the phone open. Siri, what is? Siri, what is? And they're going right through the list of problems. <sighs> and because I'm old, but apparently I'm naive, I ask one of these young people, I say, is this common? And she looked at me like my mother dropped me on my head when I was little. Of course it's common. Everybody does this. Well, while the political and uh, commercial ramifications are troubling enough, meaning who, who's actually listening to us and why, um, one of the main things that concerns me is the way that our devices are changing us, even as we're employing them. Uh, and the habit of thinking that they tend to instill in us is that, you know, our, our deepest needs can be met by instant downloads of information. Our most vexing problems can be solved by, you know, something like a simplistic tweet. Or, or alternatively, if we just have a large enough artificially intelligent agent. But folks, look at the world around us. It seems to me that what we need the most is what Siri doesn't know and what Alexa can't tell us. Because in this world... I think what we need more than anything else for the living of these days is wisdom. We need to be able to figure out what it means to disagree graciously. We need to be able to figure out how to bring healing to a wounded world. We need to be able to figure out how to speak the truth against hatred without ourselves inciting more hatred. Because in that case, we just become the mirror of the very thing we, we claim that we despise. We need wisdom. By any estimation, our world, our culture, is in a heap of trouble right now. 
we don't seem to be getting any closer to figuring it out. You're like me. You ever wake up thinking, you think, ah, oh, it's a new day. Surely things can't get any worse. And then you read the news and you, you read the news, you go, it just got worse <laughs> again. <laughs> we haven't reached the bottom yet. And it could be argued that all these devices with all that they can do for us are actually making the cultural climate a lot worse. Political arguments on Facebook. God help us. (laughs) So there's a terrible irony here. We're awash in a sea of knowledge. Not just facts. You know, favorite tourist destinations in Iceland or how to combat the blight on your tomatoes. Not just facts. But entire libraries of what the greatest minds in human history have thought, all at our fingertips, all instantly available. And yet, what we seem to need the most is just constantly eluding us. Now, if all this isn't disturbing enough, well, I haven't just ruined your morning. What makes the situation dangerous for the church is our tendency to imitate the very worst we see in our politicians and other high-profile public figures. We imitate their rhetorical styles in the church. And in that light, it's easy to understand why in this climate, in this age in which people want spiritual answers, you know, spirituality is huge business. In this climate, the fastest-growing group on the religious landscape are the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, you've heard of this? People who have no institutional affiliation with the church at all. These are folks who have had it with organized religion and religious leaders who always seem to end up making things worse. In a world with so many jagged edges, a world in which power is the only currency, the message of the cross can only look ridiculous. To the church at Corinth, this is a church that is so deeply internally divided over power struggles. This is a church that's so unsure of how it should relate to the outside world. Paul writes, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. In other words, the whole world doesn't get it. To Paul, you're either a Jew or Gentile. There's not Jews, Gentiles, and independent voters, you know, Jews, Gentiles, and Rand Paul, right? Everybody. No one gets it. Because Jews would have said, Messiahs don't die. That's not in the job description for Messiah. And to Greeks, to those who prize spiritual wisdom, insight, the notion that this eternal God would somehow get his hands dirty, would somehow be associated with this, with this man who was crucified as a common criminal, that's preposterous, that's ridiculous. You know that some pop philosophers in the ancient world 
uh, had such devoted followers that they would pay them to dispense their lessons. College students, are you listening? <laughs> that was a lot funnier in my head in the way that it came out. Right? Um, <laughs> hashtag tuition. Okay. <laughs> Even in the church, people who were thought to possess great spiritual wisdom had their groupies, had their followers. I follow Cephas, I follow Apollos. If they were alive today, you'd, you'd be following their blogs or their tweets. You know, Christian celebrity bloggers. <laughs> That's wrong on so many levels, right? You know, hashtag, I don't think so. You know. Different philosophies of the time, Platonism and, and Cynicism and Stoicism, they're all in the air at this time, and they're influencing people. But one of the things that all of these philosophies had in common was a denigration of the material world and of the body. So real spiritual wisdom doesn't have to do anything with my body or, or here. Real spiritual wisdom is not there. Real spiritual wisdom is elevated. It's in this compartmentalized part of my life. And all through his letter, Paul has to confront this denigration of the material world and of the body. He says, you can't do anything you want sexually with your body and claim that you're spiritually wise. It doesn't work that way. You can't, compare, you can't compartmentalize your spirituality like that. You can't take the Lord's Supper lightly because in it, he says, we actually participate in the body and blood of Jesus. Even in mundane matters of eating and drinking, we have to be careful because that affects others outside the church. And in that magnificent chapter 15 in which he, in which he closes the letter, he says the resurrection isn't some sort of ethereal, abstract spirituality that's already happened somehow. The resurrection means that Jesus has been raised bodily and our resurrected bodies will be like his glorified body. And for Paul, all of these things flow from taking seriously the fact that in the life of Jesus, somehow the life of the eternal God has intersected. That this man, Jesus, who is condemned and, and, and executed as a common criminal, is the wisdom of God. The one in, in N.T. Wright's words who interprets God to us and interprets us to God. But you see, the greatest philosophical minds begin to lose traction when they hear the message that this Christ died. This Christ was buried. This wisdom of God was raised bodily. Received wisdom just doesn't know what to do with that. God doesn't act like that. Another way to put it is simply this. Paul is telling us everything you, you think you knew about God, how God is supposed to act, what God is supposed to do, everything you think you know about God is wrong. God is this big entity out there who just kind of lets us figure it out on our own. Or alternatively, occasionally whaps us to keep us in line, Zeus hurling his thunderbolt. The cross of Jesus just levels all of that. So in verse 19 of this passage, he quotes a judgment oracle from Isaiah that was delivered to a very smug and complacent Israel 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And he applies it to his own situation. He says in chapter 10, everything that happened to Israel was done for our benefit. So he asks, where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? No one gets it. Because, he says, we speak of a hidden wisdom. Hidden before all time and destined for our glory and revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And apart from that, we simply don't have access to it. But here's a question. Maybe some of you have been thinking about this as I've been speaking. You know, we can ask our digital assistants for wisdom. You can do a search on Google for wisdom. Don't do it now, please. And you can pull up entire libraries. And you'll find everything from the book of Proverbs to Confucius to Oprah to Winnie the Pooh's Little Book of Wisdom, which is a very fine read, by the way. And Alexa will bring all of this up. But our search engines will never give us claims to truth about any of these sources. That's what Alexa can't do. In that situation of pluralism, it's very easy for all kinds of religious crazies to stand up and agree with Paul and say, yes, the whole world has missed it. But somehow I have access to divine wisdom. You know, it's usually something crazy. God appeared to me in my raisin brand this morning and told me that you all were supposed to write checks to John Case Ministries. You know, maybe something a little less crazy. Somehow my tiny church of the petrified brethren, we've got access to divine wisdom that the whole world has missed. Somehow we've got it. No wonder a lot of those nuns that I talked about earlier, they look at us religious types and say, you guys are all riding the crazy train together. You expect us to believe that you have this access to, to divine wisdom? Really? How do you know? that Christ is the wisdom of God. How do you know that this gospel is any more legitimate than any other religious message that's out there? I wish there was a real easy answer to that question. Uh, I wish there was a knockdown apologetics that could prove the truth of the gospel and just bulldoze all these other divine claims. And, and before you all send me links to Ravi Zacharias. You know, I did teach apologetics for 20 years. Okay, I get it. Folks, I've come to believe that the only way the vast majority of people come to be convinced of this truth is if the church that confesses Christ crucified actually lives it out and embodies it. That's the only way. Because remember, the wisdom of God in Christ is not, is not a series of propositions. It's not a new book. It's embodied in the person of Jesus. Even, even the New Testament, we talk about the New Testament. That's not a book. 
That's not a collection of writings. The New Testament, the New Covenant, is the broken and resurrected body of Jesus. He is the new and living way. Let me make a couple of quick connections then. That means that we aren't simply a people that follow a new set of rules. It's not that we have a manual that other religions don't. We're not Christ's book club or his debate team. Paul says in chapter 12, we are what? The body of Christ and individually members of it. And if you want to know what embodying this Christ is all about, what living out the wisdom of the crucified is all about, look no further than 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because practically speaking, that's what it looks like. If I can fathom all mysteries, Paul says, if I had all the knowledge in the world, I don't have love, I'm nothing. I could have a super spiritual Siri who could give me all the divine secrets. If I don't have love, I'm nothing. Folks, can I tell you that knowledge, that information, this has never been the church's problem. I have so many theology books in my office, I can't go any higher. I can't stack them any higher. Fire and safety has actually told me I cannot stack them any higher. Information is not the problem. Our problem has always been transformation. Our problem has always been becoming the people that we're called to be. The greatest challenge that's being thrown at us is not, you know, give us a new apologetics. The greatest challenge is you be that apologetics. We can, we can ask Alexa for title after title on Christian theology and apologetics, but we all know at the end of the day that talk is cheap. So Christians, show us by the way you live that this love that you keep talking about is real. Show us that you're not interested in making things worse. Show us that you're not keeping your spirituality compartmentalized and away from real life. But here's the thing. It's confession time. I know John Case really well. Some of you do too. And living out this great message I'm talking about, it doesn't come naturally to me at all. Uh, My initials might be JC, but anyone who knows me for 10 minutes would never confuse me with Jesus Christ. I like to go fishing. Jesus liked to go fishing. The natural similarity really ends there. Okay. I I have this streak in me. If you cross me, I can cut you off at the kneecaps and I can go home singing with a song in my heart. Um, All of which is a way of saying, folks, I need to be changed. How about you? Paul says in chapter 2, listen, we have not received the spirit of this world, but we have received the spirit who is from God that we may understand what he has given to us. 
And understanding there doesn't mean through logic or rationality, but it means through a deep apprehension in our spirit. And apart from that, we simply can't do it. We have not received the spirit of the world. And learning to walk in the wisdom of the crucified in this world of guns and trumpets, it's going to take a lot of the Holy Spirit's renewing and renovating work in our lives. He's going to have to throw out junk out of our attics. He's going to have to tear down walls. He's going to have to rip up old foundations. Some of us are real fixer-uppers. You know what I'm talking about? I realize there's, there's a lot of confusion about the work and leading of the Spirit. You know, some t- I mean, as a theology professor, I have people who, who want to tell me what the Holy Spirit is doing in their life. And sometimes, honestly, I think, man, you know, the Spirit, if what you're saying is true, the Spirit just needs to start drinking decaf. You know, why, why would the Spirit tell you something that's going to wind you, that you're going to wind up on America's most wanted? Maybe you need to write a note of encouragement to somebody or take a bag of groceries to someone. The Spirit doesn't want you to get into Ripley's Believe It or Not. John Wesley himself, he warned about this. He said, that voice you hear inside your head, it might be from God. It might be from the devil. It might just be your own voice. So just briefly, here's the test. If it's really the Spirit leading you. Does what we're hearing take us back to 1 Corinthians 13? And somehow against the grain of the way we normally act, we find that we're living out these realities in our life. That's the Spirit's leading and empowerment. And as we learn to live by the wisdom of the crucified, as we embody Christ to the world as we embody this Christ who himself is the very eternal embodiment of God's wisdom. As that happens, guess what, church? This body becomes the very temple of the Holy Spirit where the Spirit has free reign. That's good theology right there, right? Hashtag wisdom. Okay. We need wisdom. For the living of these days, we need a message that transcends the normal boundaries and resources of human wisdom. And we need a transformed way of living together. It's what Alexa can't tell us that we need the most. But it's what Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can do in our lives. May God bless you richly this morning, church, as you invite him to do that in your life. God bless you. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
receive the benediction. May the God of all eternal wisdom endow you with the wisdom of the crucified one. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be yours now and forever. Amen. Thank you.